Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 66 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to talk about the uh, coronavirus that has been spreading around worldwide, uh, Tottenham's downfall, Liverpool finally losing their first game, and the exciting Everton-Manchester United matchup, and much more. Uh, first of all, obviously, this is not a health podcast. We're not a science podcast. We're not scientists. Uh, if you look at our degrees, Tyler's gra- graduated with a business degree. I'm about to graduate with a journalism degree. So please, we are not scientists. So don't take whatever we say um, with a, take everything we say with a grain of salt. But we want to just quickly talk about the coronavirus um, just because overall, you know, it's impacting a lot of people worldwide. But it is slowly uh, finding its way inside the European countries and obviously in the United States. And that will obviously affect uh, the Premier League matches. City especially have already called, have already postponed games and are already decided to play games in a closed stadium. The Premier League just announced that they uh, will be suspending the player uh, pre-match uh, shaking of the hands with the players and the officials. They announced that today officially. So they're, everyone's just kind of taking precautions in terms of not spreading the, the disease. And, you know, this affects Premier League clubs with that ritual. But also the, the Premier League clubs have Champions League games and Europa League games. And, you know, traveling across Europe, it could become... You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it could be there. It could be a Champions League game where it's played in close in a closed stadium. So it's definitely impacting soccer clubs, but also people as well. Mm-hmm. And this is a like basically pandemic that has rocked not only sports, but just general life as well. Like schools are closed, businesses are closed. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are going to be games in whether it be the Premier League or Champions League and other European leagues. That would be behind closed doors because having 60,000, 90,000 people in a stadium, that is a cesspool <laughs> for the coronavirus right there. And shouting too. Mm-hmm. And everyone just coming in from all around the world just to see these games. I mean, it, it's, it stinks to have to ha- play these games behind closed doors. But I think just for caution for now and for the safety of not only the fans, but also the players And just the general people within these cities, I think it would be smart if, you know, Mm -hmm. the cases do start popping up more crazily, I would say, or more higher numbers in England. But I'd say like for now and say Italy, France, those countries starting to plan to play Morgans behind closed doors like that makes more sense. But I think we'll start seeing that more in the Premier League, even when it starts spreading a little bit more. But even now, I feel like. I've been seeing some numbers of active cases drop per the day. And although cases are increasing because it's spreading outside of China now, I think now with active cases and, you know, just not as many people getting severely sick and, you know, deathly ill, I think it's going to be all right eventually. But for now, it's just a bit of a scare and it's some precaution for Premier League clubs mm-hmm. and all football clubs to take into account. And wash your hands, everyone. Yes. <laughs> Wash your hands and refrain from touching your face or nose. Um, but I do have a this is weird because uh, we've noticed this, too. Whenever players play on the soccer pitch, you know, they constantly spit on the floor and they just put their <laughs> plant their face on the ground. So I don't know how much stopping players from shaking their hands because, you know, naturally they're going to have to tug on the shirt, pull on their shirt, touch them. You know, I don't know. It, it seems like, you know, I, I understand the safety precautions they're taking, but we all know when you play a soccer match, you end up touching the other person because you're either tackling them, you'd fall over them, whatever, you know, it's bound to happen. So very interesting. I, I know you, the Juventus uh, AC Milan game, I believe got postponed. So I don't know if we might start seeing some games start to get postponed rather than played in closed stadiums, just to have that extra precaution. Hopefully that's not going to happen, but like Tyler said, it is basically, you know, up to the leagues to decide what's best for their players and what's best for the safety of the country, basically, at this point. Mm-hmm. But, but it is not like, to, but yeah. it does like kind of confuse me about them suspending the pre match handshake because it, it is a full contact sport. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it's like they're going to be touching the ball with like their head or literally just like shouldering people, like shoulder, shoulder, elbow, elbow, things like that. 
So, I mean, mm-hmm. like, there will be. And then even when you're marking people for a corner kick, you're right Chug. up against other people. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I guess, the pre-match handshake is more a... Direct contact? Direct, direct, or something like that? So more, I guess, more of, like, an image where it's like, hey, everyone, you know, be cautious. And I guess mm. it's, like, a media thing. Yeah. Where I'm thinking. Because, like, after that, it's like, the next 90 minutes, it's like, all right. It's, like, just slapping each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. I don't know about no, that. You're, no, you're right. You're right. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting one. But not trying to take up this whole episode about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The team that has been infected with some bad juju lately is Tottenham. Uh, they lost the Wolves 2-3 in the Premier League, which in if you look at the grand scheme of things, has been a long list of just bad results for Tottenham. They lost at home against RB Leipzig. They lost against Wolves in the Premier League. They're out of the League Cup. And recently, they were knocked out of the FA Cup by Norwich City on penalties, where Tim Krul basically had uh, the placement where every Tottenham player likes to place their penalty kicks on his water bottle. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Tim Tim Krul for doing his uh, research on that one. But a bad string of results for Tottenham. And honestly, the way the form is looking and without Hyunmin Son and Harry Kane, looks like they're probably going to be out of the Champions League. And, you know, this is the story that we kind of predicted where they don't really have a proven goal scorer. And they already sold Christian Eriksen in the January transfer window. So just a run of bad form and bad results for Jose Mourinho. However, I would say this. There was a quote that Mourinho basically said he doesn't think he'll need a summer, a wholesale summer change in the transfer window to fix this squad. But uh, it's just very interesting because it's it seems like the same problems that Pochettino had. Uh, Mourinho is kind of inheriting as well, just bad defense. Um, you know, just players in and out of form. Just the same things that Pochettino was dealing with. Mourinho is getting the backlash of that as well in this in his inaugural season as Tottenham head coach. Mm-hmm. And although Mourinho said he doesn't need a full summer transfer window to revamp the team, I feel like he he does. This team mm-hmm. has a, a few gaps, and they have a lot of center mids. They have a lot of wingers, of course. That after losing Harry Kane and Hyungmin Son, they clearly need another striker for sure. And then their defense, their aging defense of Vertonghen and Alderweireld, they're on the wrong side of thirty over there. So I feel like they do need some defensive help as well. Although they do have Tanganga now coming up from the the youth and you know Davidson Sanchez being more of a solid recurring starting 11 player I think that's what Reno is kind of hinting at but even then they still need some more players but it's it's a little funny someone at my work he just started at the firm I work at and his name is Chris Erickson and I was like hold up you came just as Christian Erickson left Tottenham are you the same man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so now we know what christian erickson is doing on the weekdays so <laughs> you're working at and consulting but anyways. hey his uh his real dream his real dream <laughs> he's making that side money over here <laughs> but oh man this team uh, literally can lose to any team just based on the results that's happened in the past couple weeks uh, where they've lost to rb leipzig they lost to wolves in the league and now they Norwich. lost to Norwich, bottom and of the then table. Then they lose against Chelsea, you know. Mm-hmm. So losing against everyone. So I, yeah, they're on a slippery slope now. And we, I mentioned at least that I don't think they're going to get anywhere beyond Europa League. But even now, that is slightly mm-hmm. it's on looking hold. A little tough. Yeah, it's looking a little tough because the area around them. So like, say seventh place to fifth place. Or I guess since Man City's banned, sixth place to eighth place is so competitive right now. It can mm-hmm. very easily just Tottenham slip down into ninth, even if yeah. they don't manage to find the goals and keep the defense solid. And I yeah, wouldn't be surprised I, if that even happens because like we're seeing Arsenal now <laughs> in mid table for most of the season. So I w- it wouldn't be surprised if you see a Tottenham slip slide down there as well. Yeah, it's funny. The two North London clubs uh, battling out for 10th place or mid table. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, it's this kind of reminds me of Mourinho's first season at Manchester United that he started off pretty hot and it looked like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, Mourinho's the guy. And then we kind of hit a plateau with the squad that Mourinho had. And I, I saw that Mourinho throughout that first season would put the blame on a lot of the players saying, oh, I don't have this guy. I don't have a a star winger. I don't have, you know, this, this, or this. 
sort of doing the same thing at Tottenham. I remember when they lost to Leipzig, he was basically said that I have a gun with no bullets. And that's just throwing direct shade at guys like Lucas Mora, Steven Bergwijn, uh, Dele Ali, guys that are pretty, you know, pretty good and they're pretty attacking, but they just don't have the quality to put in the back of the net. And, you know, this is kind of classic Mourinho where he kind of puts the blame on other people and kind of shades like, oh, I don't have the players. I, you know, these two players are hurt very badly, which granted, you know, Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son being out, that hurts his team a lot. But this is, isn't new for Mourinho to kind of put the blame on players um, and, you know, just kind of put the blame on them. And, you know, he kind of gets a free a free pass for the first season and then he goes into the transfer window and buys the players he wants. And, you know, granted, he does well in the second season, but classic Mourinho, Mourinho moves right now being played at Tottenham. That being said, do you think Tottenham have the capabilities to be that second win, second season kind of team that uh, would be a classic Mourinho team that you'd see where you see, all right, maybe you see a Tottenham challenging for a top three for sure next season. Oh man, I, I, I would give Mourinho the benefit of the doubt. Uh, just knowing that if you look at the United squad that he took all the way to second place and you look at the players that were starting on the defense, I'm talking like Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, or Chris Smalling, Victor Lindelof, Chris Smalling, Eric Bailly, <laughs> and you had Ashley Young, or you had Antonio Valencia at right back, and Ashley Young is like the starting left back as well. Um, you know, if he could take that squad all the way to second place, I think he can he can do wonders with this Tottenham team. I think he's going to really have to rely on Harry Kane being healthy. They're going to have to get a backup striker, but I'll put money down as I think Mourinho could get him in the top three next season. Oh, put money down. I think down. he will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's if a- I had the money, I would say yeah. The money, had the money down. Yeah, I'll give an IOU right there. <laughs> but for me, I'm still a little skeptical because oh, the man. difference is that Mourinho is inheriting a team that has been under culture, under a Pochettino culture for so long that I think they're still adjusting to it. Although they're gonna have a whole season under their belt, I think it'll still take a little bit of time to adjust and. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they are this season, of course, given Youngman's son and Harry Kane don't get injured. But I think they still will be struggling a little bit to challenge the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be more Europa League action again for next season. Ooh, big, big takes by uh, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Look, but... Unless they pull some big moves. <laughs> no, I, I, I have my faith in Mourinho. I think he's still a really good coach. I was a little bit skeptical, but <laughs> moving on to the Watford Liverpool game, uh, Liverpool finally suffering their first loss to the Premier League to a shock team in Watford. Who, um, if you were to ask me last week, would have I would I have predicted a Watford beating Liverpool? I would have said no. However, Watford did it, and the entire Premier League was so happy about it. Um, I think this result was just so shocking. Um, I, I really just couldn't comprehend it. And it was so funny because I saw some of the Liverpool players saying, oh, it's been a bad week. It was a bad result. Time to kick on. Uh, it's kind of funny because every team gets mad about their players doing the same thing. Like, why are you on Twitter? Like, why don't you just go on the practice field and practice and get better? But as a Manchester United fan, I could say this for the entirety of the Premier League. It was nice to see Liverpool lose one this <gasps> season. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this was a very rough game. It was just, you know, during brunch time. I had the dumplings ready. Just oh no, the you like, thought it was gonna right. be easy win. Kick I thought that, you know it was like all right, it's time to break a record. Salah yeah. scores another Puskas. Yeah, win. exactly, <laughs> another Puskas <laughs> contender right there. But Liverpool just straight out the gate, no shots in the first half. They're on target. I was Ooh, like, what is that, happening? You, that's crazy. You don't think of you don't think of a Liverpool team not to ha- not having a shot on target, especially a Jurgen Klopp led Liverpool team. Mm-hmm. And then Ali Son and Trent Alexander Arnold had. Some of the worst games I think they have ever had in their lives. Like Trent Alexander Arnold just could not mark his Melisar. And unfortunately for Dale Lefeu, he got a severe injury during this game. And the kudos to the Watford team to rally behind that and, you know, kind of get the win for him. But it was a lot of character and a lot of faith from the Watford team. But from the Liverpool side, we're very stagnant. It was just nothing was happening. There's just no creativity whatsoever. And it was insane to say Liverpool didn't get a single shot on target for so long in the game. And for Liverpool to also lose 
for the first time in four over 400 days in the Premier League. Wow. In this fashion, 3-0. It wasn't wow. even a close game. It was just it's pure destruction. It was it was a straight blowout. After the first goal, I was thinking, all right, maybe, you know, Ooh. Watford gets the first goal. That's fine. It's a wake-up call. Yeah, wake-up call. And the second goal, I was like, all right, time to make a big comeback like against like West Ham the previous week. And then 3-0, I was like, all right, yikes. I don't. I think the dream is over in terms of <laughs> keeping a, an Invincibles type of season and also just keeping the streak alive. And then also when we started subbing in players like Takumi Minamino, like I was like, all right, I think we're just throwing just in the towel, throwing in the towel there. Not to say that Minamino is a bad player, of course, but it wasn't a, a, a decision that was like, all right, this is going to change the game. So at that point, it was already three zero too. I was like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm just going to eat the rest of my brunch in sadness. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I wanted to ask you this because obviously, you know, we we all kind of agree, anyone that watches Premier League, this was kind of a one-off result. I mean, it happens. However, I want to look at this in a more grand scheme of things for Liverpool because it hasn't been a good it hasn't been a good two weeks for Liverpool. Mm-mm. They lost in the Champions League uh, 1-0 to Atletico Madrid. They barely skated by West Ham, which a lot of people thought, like, you know, obviously uh, Fabianski making a horrible goalkeeping blunder allows Liverpool to get back in the game. And then they get knocked out of the FA Cup by Chelsea um, with the 2-0 loss to them. So it really has not been a good two weeks for a Liverpool fan. And I wanted to ask this. Do you think this was coming? Have you seen Liverpool? Did you kind of notice Liverpool were kind of off the pace for a little bit now? And they were just kind of riding the pine and getting getting the wins just by producing maybe like 15 minutes of quality? Or... You know, are these just kind of like one-off results that have just been happening these past two weeks? For me, I've been thinking that Liverpool have been in pretty good cruise control in the recent weeks because of the amount of clean sheets they've kept, at least in the Premier League, consecutively. They're kept like six or seven clean sheets in a row. I was thinking, all right, Liverpool basically dominating every single game they're playing. And even in you know against Atletico Madrid when they lost, they were pretty dominant against that team too. It's just, it's just Atletico Madrid, of course, is very good at shutting down teams and playing without possession. So I thought Liverpool, that West Ham game in particular, the week before where it was a 3-2 result, I thought it was just a one-off kind of thing. But mm-hmm. to see it back-to-back and then also see Liverpool lose to Chelsea, although it wasn't the starting, the main starting eleven that you'd see, you saw like you know, more bench players start that game in the FA Cup against Chelsea, but... Even then, that's some that's some loss of momentum right there to see all these losses in one week. And I think after you mentioned the players posting on social media, such as on Twitter or Instagram, saying, hey, we're going to come back. We just had a rough week, but we got to get back. I think that's more of a way to help give some hope into the Liverpool fans, at least, saying, he's like, hey, don't think that we're, you know, putting our foot off the pedal. It's just, you know... We, you have to eventually lose, you know. It's a sport yeah. where you have to eventually lose. But to lose consecutively like that and in this kind of fashion where we lose 3-0 to a team in the relegation zone and to a Chelsea side 2-0 value, really even putting up a fight, that really doesn't show, like, a good picture there. And then also for the team to just play this poorly, it was, it was a bit of a yikes <laughs> moment. But... As you're also saying, is this something that I saw coming? There were a few games where I thought Liverpool were kind of lucky, and you know VAR did go our way. Or was say, it the Norwich game where, like, if Timo Pukki and Todd Cantwell would just score the, like, if they could just like find a way to get a shot on target, mm-hmm. like they literally possibly got a, gotten some points from that game. Yeah, like Norwich was very close to getting a point from that game. They just couldn't finish, and I think it came into the fact that some teams were also intimidated to face Liverpool because they know it's like we're going to literally face the best team in Europe. We if we were to, you know, take a shot in Allison, it has to be perfect cuz anywhere else Allison is for sure going to save it. And for the defense, they have to for sure like watch not only the front three but Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson and mm-hmm. that that's just mm-hmm. a little overwhelming for defenses. Like just that thought alone made players on the opposition side like, you know, make mistakes like Fabianski. It's like a mind thing, like a mental thing mm-hmm. as well. And I think that's also what aided Liverpool as well. But Watford came into this game 
they didn't care at all. They're just like, you know what? We're gonna we're not gonna let Liverpool be gung ho. Yeah, they just went gung ho on Liverpool, like no fear. And <laughs> it was literally like Nigel Pearson, like he just told that Wolves story. He's like beating up those pack of wolves. <laughs> he just told that to the whole <laughs> team right before the game. It's like Liverpool, the Wolves. We gotta punch them. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, Liverpool no, is I, not ready for that. No, I, and it's it's crazy because Nigel Pearson has beaten Manchester United. I believe they beat them two or three nil, and then they've also beaten Liverpool three 0 at home. So Watford finding some form there, but I think I I don't know. I kind of think that the Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid's uh, that getting that one nil victory over Liverpool did that rock. The Liverpool confidence in that Liverpool locker room more than people would have expected because that was pretty much a full, a full strength Liverpool team. It's not like they were playing a bunch of youngsters. I mean, that was the team, and Atletico got an early goal and they just held on and beat Liverpool. I think for that game, it didn't really affect the Liverpool players too much because although it was a loss, that and Liverpool players aren't really accustomed to that more recently in this season at least they have lost to european clubs in the champions league at least away in the group stages even so in this in the season as well so i don't think it was something that really affected their their heads too much but i think it was the combination of like little things too in terms of the starting 11 where jordan henderson has been out with injury so he their charismatic leader their captain on the on the center of the pitch the man who would rally the team he was out for the past few weeks and we saw that you know the defense did slip and also just not as many goals and the vice captain James Milner has also been out with injury as well so the backup man's not even there and Van Dyke he can do all he can but at the same time during the, the Watford game Dejan Lovren came in after months of not playing and kind of showed where he made a lot of defensive errors in terms of not keeping the back line as organized. Like he'd be the one who would keep someone on side. He's like, how'd that guy get through? <laughs> it's like, oh, Lovren. <laughs> so just classic old Lovren mistakes. He, he, he's, like Phil, he's a Phil Jones of Liverpool. Basically, honestly, if Phil Jones was slightly more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, man. And then also um, just losing Henderson again is just – That's really showing how much of a key Mm -hmm. centerpiece Henderson is to the team where, you know, he doesn't have the overall technical ability that you would think, you know, in a world-class player, but he does have that intangible, like that leadership quality to really rally a team to push through and get the win or get the result. And without Mm -hmm. him, Liverpool finally lose. No, I I agree. I think Jordan Henderson is a key in that midfield, but Moving on to the Everton-Manchester United match. It was a really exciting game. The game ended up finishing 1-1, obviously. However, a goalkeeping blunder by David De Gea and a pretty, you were also, I would say, a bit of a blunder by uh, Jordan Pickford not, mm-hmm. you know, covering his near post when Bruno Fernandes, you know, shot the ball. Oh, man. My my man, De Gea, what has happened to him after <laughs> the 20? I literally, he was so good two seasons ago and then the 2018 World Cup hit. And then he just has not been the same since then. I really have no idea. And, you know, it it really hurts because for the past, I would say, past couple months, I would say De Gea, I I was starting to feel like he was starting to find his form again and starting to find, you know, kind of those match. He was starting to have like those match-saving moments where he was just making really great saves. And granted, he did make some, he probably made three or two or three really good saves in this match. But, I mean, that howler, I mean, come on. I, I... I, I don't know. It's just it, it's quite shocking as a Manchester Manchester United fan to see the guy that's been the best player on the team for so many years is now costing Manchester United points. It's it's just quite shocking. I really I I don't know. That's the biggest question. Like what happened to him after that 2018 World Cup? For me, I'm kind of thinking about this as you know David De Gea's. This is his job, being a goalkeeper for Manchester United. That is his occupation, and every once in a while, I would say. People do get burnt out at where they work or like where they're at, and maybe they need to change the scenery. So, do you think David De Gea is just a little bored <laughs> or just not as challenged? And maybe that's what's coming out where, it, you know, in this game, he literally had so much time on the ball and then just kicked it straight and in, not into Calvert Lewin, but he, he saw him coming 
and just didn't really think about it too much. And then all of a sudden, basically shot it into his own net from the deflection from Calvert Lewin. Ah, man. You know, he signed a new contract with Manchester United, so he's there for a while now. So it's not like he's not committed to the job. However, I've seen reports that apparently, I think the last season under Mourinho and now the goal, a lot of people, a lot of United fans have been talking about the goalkeeping coach that Manchester United currently have. And they, a lot of reports have been that the coach, that coach really hasn't been pushing De Gea all that much. Um, And that's why they're really excited to have Dean Henderson come back. um, The goalkeeper who's right now on loan to Sheffield United come back to the United squad because they, they feel like they, that competition is really going to help De Gea thrive and maybe get back to his, you know, that form we saw for so many seasons ago. A lot of people say Romero, but I think with Romero, since he's obviously older, I think he's older than De Gea. And there are limitations to Romero, even though he's a pretty good shot stopper. He's not that good distributing the ball compared to De Gea. So really, there's not that much of a fear that De Gea is going to lose his spot to Serge Romero. However, Dean Henderson, I feel like when he comes in, I feel like there's going to be a real a real fight for that play. Sort of we see with Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams at the left-back position. Luke Shaw has elevated his game since Brandon Williams has come on. So I would say Dean Henderson coming in will kind of add a lot of competition to the goalkeeping spot, and I think it will really help De Gea because I think with anything, I think sometimes we can get complacent. So I think sometimes when you have a little bit of a push by someone behind you or someone just, you know, kind of giving you a little nudge, I think that can help inspire you to work a little bit harder and get, you know, better. So I think that's what we need to see with De Gea. But circling back to this game, the big uh, big call at the end of the game was a VAR call where basically Calvert-Lewin shot the ball. Look, it hit Harry Maguire's foot. Sigurdsson was in front of De Gea in an offside position. The ball was coming towards Sigurdsson. He lifts his feet up and De Gea dives the wrong way. And the goal goes in, but it was chalked off. Um... I personally think they got it right just because Sigurdsson was in an offside position and I know the ball was on the ground. However, he did obscure De Gea, um, his, um, you know, his positioning, I would say. And I know the ball came off Harry Maguire, but I still think that the goal was counted offsides because he was obscuring De Gea's view. Mm. <laughs> you already know. I, I definitely, I don't, I don't definitely disagree with this, but I think De Gea was already leaning the wrong way to begin with. and No, but the uh, thing is, the way Calvert-Loon was shooting the ball, it was going to go that way. Like No mm-hmm. one could have predicted a freak deflection off yeah. Aaron McGuire's foot. But even then, Sigurdsson, he didn't really make a play on the ball. He he moved his legs out the way, you know, let it go through. And I don't know why he was just sitting down. That's to begin with. Like, why... He should have just got up. <laughs> it would have been fine. Everything would have been fine. We just didn't want to take a seat in the 90th minute, on the basically in the pen or penalty box. But I think it was very harsh for VAR to take that goal away from Everton because, like this, the sheer energy and like the sheer joy that like the all the fans had from the result. Like basically, is all right. We got to the game winner basically, and then the VAR decided the result. Because there's no way no one else, anyone else is going to score the rest of the game. It was like this game, that decision literally decided whether everything were going to get three points or one. Mm-hmm. And for them to make this the the basis, where all right, if you know if there is a player just in the way, even if he's not really making a play on the ball, we're going to have to call it back. Because let's be real, De Gea definitely was able to see the ball. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! He didn't see the ball. <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Sergeson's sitting down. He's not a gnome. <laughs> you can definitely see over a man sitting down. So I think with his pedigree as well, David Ahea, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, I think he'd be able to see, have enough field awareness to know it's like, all right, there's a slight deflection, and then Sigurdsson's not going to touch it. And if he does, then it's going to be offside. But gosh, for this Darby as well, like, it was a good game. The Liverpool rivals, Darby. Like it was a good game, but yikes! It was a, a not a good showing for VAR as well because even then now, it caused Carlo Ancelotti to go off on the ref. <laughs> get a red card. Yeah, got a red card at the very end of the game, so he got sent off. You won't be able to be on the sideline for the next game. I, I saw that and I was like, um, well, I was talking about the goal. 
I was like, come on, this is the most BS way to lose as a Manchester United fan. A freaking freak deflection as an own goal. <laughs> like, it was so heartbreak, And it literally went in the corner, like literally the bottom right corner of the net. Almost like a perfect shot. Man. I mean, I still would have counted it, but, you know, I ain't the ref, and now it's a 1-1. But I was just also wondering, what the heck did Carlo Ancelotti say to get that red card straight up? I think <laughs> just, he was just constant bickering. Just like, like, hey, what, 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 uh, <laughs> just profanity. <Hey. laughs> but, jeez. Oh, he's, uh, he's one of the more, you know, veteran managers. So for him yeah. to lose his cool like that. It was he was pretty peeved off. I yeah, would say. but I would still say it was commendable to back up his team like that, where he's not want to be, you know, one of those managers to be like, you know, all the yeah, referees I mean, got he's it. Like, oh, I won a Champions League. So, I yeah, won like, many things. It's like whatever. <laughs> just yeah. just take some L sometimes. But no, he stood up for his team and he, he was angry. So oh. that's some passion right there from the manager. So although he got the red card, I personally thought it was the right move for this side because you know it keeps the team morale up as well where it's like all right yeah. the manager really does believe in us mm-hmm. and, and not to mention right before that uh Manchester United almost scored the game winner that would have been the game winner um Odie Ngallo had a chance right in front of goal but Jordan Pickford basically pulled off like two amazing saves and just went berserk like he normally does um so that was that was good for Jordan Pickford but uh obviously the England head coach was in the stands um Garrett Southgate He's looking at Jordan Pickford, but also he needs a striker. And a guy that's been kind of playing out of his mind right now is Dominic Calvert-Lewin for uh, Everton. He was a menace against Manchester United in this game. Uh, He just plays so well because he's not, you know, he obviously knows he's not a Harry Kane. He's not a Jamie Vardy. He's not, he's not this overhyped player. You know, he's kind of a guy that just gets, you know, rings up the towel, gets his work done. And he's just so good with playing off the ball in terms of he's very physical. He's not afraid to get physical. He's not afraid to, you know, really get stuck in there. And I think, you know, some of his overall play isn't that bad either. I don't think he's completely useless on the ball. I think he's got some good, I think he's got like some pretty good skill on him, on his feet and his shot, you know, he's got a decent shot on him. And I think overall, he's just a really good striker to, you know, hold up the ball and be very physical and I think with England, who have who are starting to have a lot of more of those skillful players like Jane Sancho, Raheem Sterling, um, Deli Ali, uh, you know, some of those more skillful guys, I think it's really helpful to have a guy like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I would say like Jordan Henderson, the midfield, who's not afraid to do the dirty work to get the job done. Mm-hmm. I will say, it Dominic Calvert-Lewin does depend on the system he's playing in too, because we saw... Basically, before Ancelotti, Calvert Lewin was struggling to score, and then all of a sudden, after Ancelotti comes in, changed the system, it works four, a lot four, better. Two. Yeah, four four two. It works four, a lot four, better two. for Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin. So, if England goes into the Euros with a four four two, maybe it would be beneficial for Calvert Lewin to come in. Ings and Dominic Calvert Lewin. That'd be sick. That would be sick. Yeah, that. But I do also I, want to pose a, a different kind of question regarding the England squad. Because, you know, we have our strikers, we have our picks for Ings. The right backs. Yeah, the right backs. Like, we've been, we've been talking about these players sporadically throughout the past few podcasts. And now we got, mm-hmm. you know, Denny Ings, Calvert-Lewin, Tammy Abraham all up in here for contention for strikers. But for goalkeepers, we've been talking about Dean Henderson and Jordan Pickford, but also Nick Pope. He's also on track to maybe make an appearance for the England squad. But mm-hmm. right now... Based on current past competitions for England, Jordan Pickford has been the main man in between the sticks. But, you know, Dean Henderson has had an amazing season, and so has Nick Pope. So if you were Gareth Southgate, Yoshbika, <laughs> who would you pick as your goalkeeper for the Euros? Hmm. If I had to go just off consistency of this Premier League season, I'm picking Dean Henderson uh, just because... With Pickford, as we saw in this game, for some reason, he has those moments where you're just kind of questioned, what is he doing? He's got, a, he's got a great ball, you know, in terms of distributing the ball with his foot. I mean, he's got a cannon on his leg. But there's so many times where a shot will come in and where he'll think he'll supposed to parry, out the, parry it out the other way. But he just parries it out right in the middle of the action. 
And in especially in international play in the Euros where you're not necessarily scoring three or four goals a game and the games are much tighter, I don't think you can I don't I think having that liability there where you just don't know sometimes what he what he will do, I think that's a little risky. So I would go Dean Henderson uh as the number one keeper because I think he's earned it just based on his performances this season with Sheffield. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And if anything, maybe alternate Jordan Pickford and Dean Henderson to play a game here and in the game there and see how they do. And also, if you think about the Premier League teams themselves, Jordan Pickford, who on that back line of that defense does he have to talk to and that he knows? It's like maybe <laughs> if Leighton Baines makes a surprise appearance <laughs> or, you know, Michael Keane, maybe. Mason Holgate or something. Yeah, Mason Holgate, maybe. But even then, you don't really see those players getting in the starting 11. You see like a Harry Maguire. And although Dean Henderson is on Sheffield right now, he will be at Manchester United. So, yeah, eventually he'll have that connection with Harry Maguire because he'll be playing with him week in and week out. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe challenging De Gea and getting a few games with Harry Maguire, at least training with him in, in practice. But yeah, having Dean Henderson also get some international experience at a young age now during the Euros that also potentially build him to be a key starting strike or key starting goalkeeper for future competitions. So there is some debate now. It's like, do we, or does England keep Jordan Pickford or do they maybe move on and start in like incub- not incubating, but like instilling yeah. <laughs> Dean Henderson okay. in. I, no, think I think Jordan Pickford is going to start because I think that's just what's going to happen, but no, I do want D. I, Henderson as well. I was just going to say, I think the only reason Jordan Pickard would get the start was just based on um, incubancy with uh, you know, with his performances in the 2018 World Cup. Granted, he played really well. I think he's just kind of built up a little bit of a stature there where it would be, you know, kind of think about it, it would be kind of harsh on Garrett Southgate just to remove him from the starting lineup considering that he hasn't been playing bad per se, but you know, Dean Henderson has just been very good. But, you know, at the end of the day, having more competition in those places isn't a bad thing for England, um, especially in a goalkeeping position where if you look at sort of the other European countries like Spain or Germany, um, England has kind of been lacking recently. So having two quality goalkeepers is a big, big plus for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on to the Bournemouth-Chelsea game, I honestly thought Chelsea were going to lose. Uh, Bournemouth came back and won, were 2-1 up at one point, and then Chelsea find a way to make it uh, get the equalizing goal to make it 2-2. You know, all, all the times we keep writing off Chelsea that they're going to get out of fourth place, they somehow find a point here and there, scrap a point, and then the people below them just don't take advantage of it. And it's just quite funny that that keeps happening. Eddie Howe, this was pretty bright signs for him. I think that the squad and his attacking players are slowly starting to come back in form. Josh King, I believe, was substituted in the middle of this game, and he seemed quite unpleased. Uh, very unpleasant with the idea of getting substituted. He was kind of mad. However, um, for Eddie Howe, I hope this is a good sign that Bournemouth will kind of be, you know, turning the corner a little bit and kicking, you know, basically uh, saving their season, I would say. It was a little crazy, though, that Marco Alonso was the player for Chelsea to get yeah, to he, two goals. <laughs> no, he keeps on scoring goals, man. I know. It's just so random but i mean he does it every season and i don't know why they don't play him more i mean he's not the best defender but he's getting the goals at least but Mm -hmm. as you were talking about bournemouth they have a really rough schedule for the rest of the season as well in terms of getting points they basically play everyone in the top seven and that included the chelsea match that just happened they're going to be playing liverpool this upcoming weekend and then they have to face leicester wolves man city exactly so it's going to be a huge test for Bournemouth to stay in the Premier League for this upcoming season because in order for them to stay, they have to get the points from some of the biggest opponents in the Premier League. And right now, this 2-2 result, they're looking really good. And you know Ryan Frazier with an assist, Joshua King with a goal, Lerma getting a goal from a corner. It's, it's like some old signs of the old Bournemouth coming through in times where they really need them. It just... Mm-hmm. Oh, this is now going to be can Bournemouth really build on this result and you know press on for the rest of the season? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Because no. I'm I'm a little torn. I don't really know. It's one result is like one thing, you know. It, it is against a big Chelsea side, but 
this Bournemouth team hasn't been that consistent. And I think it'd be really easy for them to also potentially get relegated because of just the sheer quality of the opponents they're facing for the rest of the season. So I still think they're going to be, it's going to be a huge worry for the rest of the season, in my opinion. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they unfortunately do get relegated. I mean, I, I know their schedule is difficult, but I, I have to put the faith in the manager and they have a really good manager in Eddie Howe. And I think, I don't know. I just have this belief that with Bournemouth, they can still do it. You know, we've seen Eddie Howe kind of pull off spectacular wins in the past. And I know this is a different Bournemouth team, but I don't know. I, I guess I'm just putting too much faith in Eddie Howe. I think, I think I'm just going to trust the manager in this one. I think I'm going to roll with uh, Bournemouth getting out of the relegation battle mm. and just staying in the Premier League. I like Bournemouth, so I hope they don't get relegated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good story. You know, I, I, I agree with you too. And another team that's, you know, kind of in that same battle with them is Norwich and um, Newcastle. Uh, obviously, Newcastle burned the game, finished no nil, and it was you know no one likes a nil nil game. Uh-huh. But for Norwich, <laughs> they picked up a, a very decide, a very good and a very important victory in their hopes of Premier League survival against uh, Leicester. You know, Jamie Vardy still having their goal drought. Um, unfortunately, I would say for Norwich, I know they're um, in the FA Cup. You know, the last day of the FA Cup, they will be playing against Manchester United. I just don't think Norwich can pull off the great escape. I don't think their defense is good enough. I mean, they've conceded the tied for second most uh, for the Premier League goals conceded with 51, which is just awful. I mean, mm-hmm. that's horrifyingly awful. I mean, Ashton Villa is up there with them at number one with 52. That's just you can't you can't survive in the Premier League conceding that those amount of goals. Unless you're Southampton, who <laughs> conceded nine in one game, but for <laughs> Norwich, you basically see a team that concedes a lot in every single game. Although I feel like in the recent games, they're starting to pick up some form. Mm. I feel like they're, they're four. It's just too too little, too late. Mm -hmm. They're four points behind 19th and then six points behind safety. And that's two wins, which is a lot, a lot low key. There's 10 games left in the season, which means they, if they win out the rest of the season, that'd be insane. But at the same time, I don't think that's going to happen. And with the results, it's a little iffy. I still think they're not completely toast yet, but they're most likely to be toast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would stack them and Aston Villa into a double-decker sandwich. I think they're <laughs> like a extra toast. Oh, Aston Villa's got a little bit of a chance, but... Not really. <laughs> uh, besides Jack Grealish, I mean, they haven't shown any signs of life that they can actually get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to quickly point out West Ham. They beat Southampton 3-1. Uh, David Moyes goal. listening to the podcast. He listened to me. He started Mikel Antonio, kept the same back line, I believe, from the Liverpool game. Ngakia, Diop, Ogbonna. Um, Declan Rice started again. But Antonio on the left with Haller up front, starting both of those guys. Um, I think it worked worked out well for them. And they also started um, uh, Forlands. Uh, I'm trying to think of the... Or Fernal. Attacking mid- yeah, Fernal. And they all got the goals, so... I think for West Ham, I think David David Moyes is uh, kind of found David Moyes. <laughs> David Moyes, I think that David De Gea too much, but he's kind of found that system. You just need that little bit of spark and little bit of system that can get you out. And West Ham are currently, I would say, in some pretty good form, and they're rolling right now. Not rolling, but they're finding some good form. Mm-hmm. A good time too, because if mm-hmm. they continued the way they were, then they'd be in this relegation talk for look out, Brighton like the rest of the season. So yeah, look out for Brighton to drop into that drop zone. But mm-hmm. I still think West Ham, they still need to be in this relegation talk for the rest of the season, despite. No, I, I still, results. I do. I think that as well. Because, you know, it, it could be one or a couple of good games, you know, against Liverpool and then against the Southampton side. But I think David Moyes, kudos also shout out to him for listening to the podcast. <laughs> but uh, I think, He's starting to figure out which players he should play. You know, Mikel Antonio, Haller, of course. And then Fornals. Fornals, who has been on the bench for a lot of the season and now got two assists this game, I think that's a spark that could really help West Ham escape from this relegation talk. But now we just have to see, are West Ham going to continue this or are they just going to drop back into inconsistency and then Fabianski making mistakes again? (laughs) So we'll just have to see. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be a good one. I, I mentioned Brighton. I honestly think they are in the relegation battle as well. Uh, you know, they lost to Crystal Palace, a 1-0, 1-0 victory for Palace. But look out for Brighton. Um, they're still going to be in the relegation battle because they have not been that impressive basically this whole season. Mm-hmm. Besides a couple moments here and there, they've just kind of low-key just kind of snuck under the radar in terms of relegation teams. I feel like we kind of point out the most obvious ones with Norwich, Aston Villa, Watford, West Ham. We obviously throw Newcastle in there a couple times, and Bournemouth have now recently gotten in there. But Brighton, you just somehow find a way to sneak under the radar. But we're watching out for you, Brighton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be on the lookout. They could definitely be on the relegation battle. But quickly moving on to the preview section, I know we normally uh, do the normal three games, but there are so many good games this weekend that we actually decided to keep it at four. Uh, so to get things started, we have the Burnley-Tottenham game. Burnley have been in some pretty good form. Obviously, drawing nil-nil isn't the best, but they have been picking up victories. And for Tottenham, they've been sliding off the table. It's a home game for Burnley. They're physical. They love to play with the ball in the air. They're not afraid to play long ball. Tottenham don't currently they currently don't have a a striker. So I'm gonna roll with Burnley actually picking up. I would say a one nil victory over Tottenham. Oh my! I was gonna say that. <laughs> oh. Burnley have also been doing a very good job at shutting out their opponents. Especially if it's a big opponent. They've gotten a nil-nil against Arsenal. They shut out Manchester United at home. At home. So I wouldn't be surprised if Burnley do something like this again. But also at the same time, if they couldn't score against a Newcastle side, <laughs> that does give me some concern. They are at home. which This is, Bur- this is Burnley, though. They're kind of a wild card. They are a wild that. card. But also, I'm going to give a wild card prediction. I'm going to say another nil-nil for Burnley. It's going to be a draw. Remind me not to watch this game. Yes. But, man, I I would say 1-1, but or 1-0. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to change it up. (laughs) 0-0. This game is like a perfect Moody Mourinho type of night, type of day, where it's just nothing. Nothing I could definitely see it where just nothing is going right. Post-game press conference comes. You know, he's just kind of throwing the players under the bus, stuff like that. Uh, it just feels like a classic kind of Moody Mourinho type game that's going to be brewing up right there. But then we have the uh, Chelsea Everton game. Uh, obviously, Everton beat Chelsea at home um, earlier in the season, I believe in December, when Duncan Ferguson was the interim manager. A big result for them, and Everton have been in some really good form. The game's at Stanford Bridge. <sighs> I'm going to go 1 1 again. I think Everton draw 1 1 against uh, another big team in Chelsea. I'm going to go straight off the bat and say Everton actually get the win. 2-1. Oh, and Marcus Alonso oh, getting another goal. <laughs> but <laughs> I think Everton right now, they're going to go into this game a little angry. And although Carlo Ancelotti won't be on the, on the touchline, I think they have a good enough system where it's a little better than Chelsea's for sure now. And just the results they've been getting recently, it's just mm-hmm. literally under Ancelotti. Before the previous week, they have gotten the second most points besides Liverpool. And I think with Chelsea slipping a little bit and Everton on the rise, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a 2-1. 2-1. I'm going a 1-1 draw. He's got 2-1. And then we have Liverpool versus Bournemouth. <gasps> uh, this game is on here just because Liverpool have are – we're going to see how Liverpool respond after their first Premier League loss of the season. And historically – Bournemouth have kind of gave Liverpool um, some fits in the past. Uh, I know this game is at Anfield. I think Liverpool bounce back pretty easily. I think they end up winning this game 3-1. But it will be very interesting to see how they respond And I would say, the first 10 minutes of this game. This game is very stressful for me. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Because this will also determine how Bournemouth will do for the rest of the season. Because Bournemouth... They got the result against Chelsea, as we mentioned during this podcast, literally this episode. But I don't want them to do well against Liverpool. <laughs> I want a good match, of course, but man, I need Liverpool to get the win. I think at Anfield, the fans are not going to let Liverpool get away with another bad, bad display again. So it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a 2-1 win to Liverpool. It's going to be very Ooh. close. Like It's going to be 1-1 for a lot of it, and then maybe Liverpool will nick one at the very end. But 
This one, I'm I'm sweating. I'm not gonna lie. Although born with our relegation zone, so are Watford. So that's true. I I honestly think Liverpool will bounce back pretty comfortably, but he's got he's got Liverpool sweating it out. And then obviously we have the biggest game of the weekend: the Manchester derby, Manchester United versus City at home at Old Trafford. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has pulled off the double against Pep Guardiola um, at the Etihad. Hasn't when they when City did come to Old Trafford in the EFL Cup? I mean, City pretty much dominated United. I think that you know this team is kind of coming on its own now with Bruno Fernandez running the show. Harry Maguire, I would say, could be a doubt for this game. He didn't start in the FA Cup game today with an ankle injury. Um, there's reports that he could be back, but it's still up in the air. So if that's going to happen, it'll most likely be a Bayi Lindelof uh, partnership. I think, mm, I don't know. I think the way that the, the game has been going and I think the way they've been playing, I honestly could see United winning this game. I think I could see a two, one United win beating city. Hmm. This game is going to be a really, I would say is this is going to probably be one of the more exciting Manchester derbies. Mm -hmm. It's so unpredictable. I, Mm -hmm. It's not really a sure result. I can see anything really happening for this one. But for me, I think with Laporte being out for a month for Manchester City, their cornerstone in the defense, you know, they did get the the win against Aston Villa over the weekend in the Carabao Cup. Wasn't really too much of a competition, really, that match. But I think City against a Manchester United side who is also on a pretty pretty good role. I think they will be challenged, especially being at Old Trafford. And I don't think United are going to get the win. I don't think City are going to get the win either. So I'm going to say a 2-2. Oh, that's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a fun game right there to watch, 2-2. Yes. Oh, man. I I think this is going to be a really fun Manchester derby because we have two coaches who aren't afraid to kind of push their players forward. You know Solskjaer isn't just going to, you know, he likes to play on the counterattack, but he's not a Mourinho. He's not so far gone like he's a Mourinho style where he'll just basically kill off any type of fun and just try to hit on that one random counterattack. It's going to be a really fun game to watch. I think it's going to have a whole lot of drama, but I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But, mm-hmm. you know, with that, that kind of wraps up episode 66 for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear your thoughts. But thank you guys so much for listening. That kind of does it for us in this episode. Peace. Peace.